Welcome to the Brass Sunday Podcast. I'm your host, Lockie. I'm joined here by my co-host once again, Rowan. Once again. What? How you doing, brother? Oh, yeah. Same as always, you know, just uh, in taking in oxygen and expelling carbon dioxide like a carbon-based life form usually would, but this time with a little air of, uh, what's that word? Uh, superiority? I think that's it. Are you okay? Who hurt you? <laughs> we'll uh, find out. So, so this episode we are we have recently been chatting about the the Blade Runner series. Um, I recently watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine for the second and third time, um, and I I found a new love for it, and I think it's a fantastic movie, and you'll find out why in this in this podcast. Uh, so, this podcast is a review of. Blade Runner 2049. When I say a review, I'm not a film critic. Rowan, I know, is a lot more... Uh, I don't Choose know. Choose your words. You're a lot more established <laughs> in, in the... <laughs> no, you're a dick. Uh, no, <laughs> you're a lot more established in terms of, um, I guess, your portfolio of the films that you've watched and how you can kind of compare and contrast and, and film terms and that kind of thing. Um, so I think this will be a, a, good, a good review, I hope. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. So, I hope so too. Uh, I just wanted to put a, an exclaimer out there as well to say that this obviously has spoilers. And first up, I'm going to do a a synopsis. Are you ready for this, Rowan? No, but go ahead. In 2049, bioengineered humans called replicants are slaves to humankind. One replicant called K is a Blade Runner, tasked with killing or retiring rogue older model replicants. Replicants cannot reproduce, but Kay finds a replicant that died during childbirth, so is then ordered to find and kill the natural-born natural born child. Neander Wallace of the Wallace Corporation wants to find the child to finally understand the secret to replicant reproduction, but Kay is led to believe that he is the child. He goes to the ruins of Las Vegas to question who he believes to be his father, former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, good man. Uh, Love, Wallace's bitch, tracks Kay and kids, kidnaps Deckard, leaving Kay to die. Kay is then rescued by a group of rebel replicants who reveal that Kay is not the child, but ask Kay to kill Deckard in order to keep their organization secret. Kay rescues Deckard from being interrogated by Wallace and helps to stage Deckard's death. Deckard then gets to meet his daughter for the first time while Kay makes a low-effort snow angel on the ground outside and dies. Ah, <laughs> I remember that scene very well. Yeah, so that's the synopsis. Uh, I apologize if that was a bit a bit rusty, but there we go. Now, I haven't seen the original Blade Runner, and Rowan has. So, mm. can for, for a start, before we get into the actual movie itself, can you talk a little bit about how you believe watching the original would uh, impact, let's say I had... Uh, I had watched the original first. What difference would I find? Uh, well, it's it's interesting because the impact of watching the original... Actually, do you mind if I just talk about something a little bit of a tangent mm-hmm, first? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So, the original Blade Runner is very difficult to say the original because, as I am aware, there were eight different cuts of the film that were made. Oh, really? Seven of... Yeah. Uh, seven of those were commercially available. And of those seven, uh, five you can buy at the moment now. And of those five, 
three are important, and only two of those three are good. So the reason that I say important and good is because the first Blade Runner cut is called the US theatrical cut, and it is the uh, it's the dumbed down version uh, because the the original test audience didn't understand the movie at all. So Ridley Scott was forced to implement uh, certain measures to make the film understandable. Uh, and the most recent cut, which is known as the final cut, takes away all of those simplicities and adds extra layers that Ridley Scott himself wanted to add to the film originally. And so that's why I like to call uh, the final cut the definitive cut, because it, because it is the artist's true interpretation. How different are they in terms of story? Well, that's interesting, because they have the same basis, but the underlying themes of the story completely change. Uh, it's very difficult to go into any kind of detail without talking about the story itself, yeah. but uh, I will say that uh, the details of the final cut vastly outweigh the whole uh, US theatrical cut. Yeah, that makes sense. And the reason that I wanted to go on that little spiel is so I could say when I talk about the original Blade Runner, I'm not talking about the US release. Okay, okay. I'm talking about the final cut. Yeah, that's a good thing to clear up in case there are mm. any other Blade Runner nerds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, sick. So coming back to the question, um, how do you think that my point of view would differ from yours? Yeah, so a lot of what uh, 2049 did for the original story is essentially answer a lot of questions that were left... Uh, open at the end of the first movie. Uh, and I think that while that is good in some cases, and even with some questions, they're still sort of left unanswered, just hinted upon more than anything. I think that the main difference between, for example, your view and my view of the new movie would be background knowledge. And uh, I would be looking for answers to questions that would be answered uh, whereas you would already have the questions answered before you knew there was a question. Interesting. Um, just to put it out there, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely will watch it after after we finish up this. Um, I've actually been meaning to watch it for the last few weeks, but um, I thought I'd wait for this, so I reckon that'll be a good opportunity. Um, is there anything that you want to bring up first before? I was kind of thinking we should go through the, the plot in kind of a, a linear manner and just talk about things as they come. Um, I watched the film last night and Rowan watched it this morning. Mm, yeah, yeah. Cool. and I watched the original last night. Oh, very good. Um, mm. So I basically just wrote notes as, as we went through. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that I kind of vibed with... Um, was the intro, um, that kind of title title sequence that, that explains the universe, puts uh, puts your head in, uh, I guess, the right... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it, you, it puts you in the universe and it makes you understand what uh, you probably wouldn't understand if you hadn't seen the first film. Um, so it Absolutely. introduces the concept of replicants and introduces the past with the Tyrell Corporation and then the Wallace Corporation and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's a really... Uh, a really powerful way to do that artistically rather than going through like a bunch of flashbacks or uh, gradually being, bringing that 
bringing that up throughout the movie. Even though it did both. And there is one other thing that uh, they importantly introduced in the uh, opening crawl. Uh, There is a small section of the crawl which you can easily just gloss over if you're looking at it, but it still sticks in your mind as a fact, even if you're not focusing on it. The idea uh, of... Uh, the extermination of replicants being called retirement. Yeah, that that is a very powerful, uh, very powerful aspect that they also used in the first movie to really show the difference between the human race yeah. and what they consider the replicants. It's fundamentally disturbing as well. It makes you think about, well, like humans in this in this uh, universe consider these replicants to be pretty much robots, which is why they say. Okay, they're slaves. This that's uh, they're not humans, so we can do this. Uh, we can enslave them, basically. Um, but putting the the concept of retirement on them, it just sounds I don't know a little bit spooky and yeah, fundamentally wrong. Absolutely, it goes to show exactly the state of mind that the people are in when they begin to talk about replicants. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I would. That just kind of struck me the second time that I watched it, keeping in mind that I hadn't seen the first one. Um, I, I was imagining that was the creative tool to basically catch people up. Mm. And even if you weren't uh, caught up, like I was saying before, it it puts a fact out there that any kind of scrutiny will help you understand the world a little bit better. Yeah. Um, okay, so first scene, uh, something that really stuck out to me Kay, the Blade Runner, is walking through uh, the house of a, a an old older model replicant that he's looking to retire, and he walks into the house and sees a, a pot boiling. Now, I guess the cliche of the pot boiling used in in movies and like tense scenes like this was a I'd say this was a fairly tense scene. That pot is usually used to insinuate, hey, there's been someone here recently. Like that's what I my mind went to first. But thinking about it more and more, uh, as as Sapper went to grab his uh, scalpel to to stab Kay, um, it cut back to the the pot just before. So in, in a in a way, it's kind of symbolize symbolism that the the pot's boiling about to boil over, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and I'm sorry to get into this so very early, but Uh-oh. I have to talk a little bit about uh, Denis Villeneuve, the director of the film. Uh, he and Ridley Scott, who was the director of the original Blade Runner, both have very detail-oriented focuses when they come to films. So small things like this are what is much more important to them than overall dialogue, and it really helps to build the world and make the film understood. First, actually, before we move on, I forgot to do this earlier. What do you rate this film out of 10? It is certainly... uh, an incredible sci-fi film and it is an excellent uh not exactly sequel but certainly descendant of the original Blade Runner film that's a good way to put it yeah I would give it if it was a standalone film by itself I would give it an eight or an eight and a half Mm -hmm. but uh just seeing the legacy that Blade Runner gave it uh, and then what it did with that legacy. It's it's just the fact that it's following on from something else which has lowered it a little bit because it has a very different style than the original. I would give that a uh, just flat seven. Okay, that's respectable. For me, uh, 
obviously I've only got one of those points of view um, and that's probably for most people going to be the higher higher ranking point of view. I, this is just a standalone movie. And what I like about it is the fact that you can just watch it as a standalone movie. That's that's something that really impressed me because when you look at something like, oh, I can't really think of another example. Hollywood is good at doing it these days um, so that people can just jump in anywhere in a, in a series and understand. But in complex sci-fi stuff like this, it can sometimes be hard to pick up on stuff from previous movies. Um, mm. So as a standalone movie, I'm going to give this a nine. Um, now that is a combination of really beautiful cinematography, uh, fantastic pacing, uh, awesome sound design, brilliant score, and yeah, I, just a captivating movie. Yeah, very nice. Yes. So, anything else you want to mention about that before we keep moving forward in the plot? Uh, one thing that you said that was very important: uh, score. I. Yes. Uh, Hans the Zimmer. soundtrack, yes, the soundtrack do both movies, uh, both uh, at well, more so in the original, but at times in twenty forty nine, the soundtrack is uh, tonal and heavy, yeah. and very alien esque, which yeah. is very interesting for a film that it is entirely set on Earth yeah. with no kinds of aliens. It really sets you up into the mind of this is something out of this world. You know, even did, though yeah. it is entirely Earth-based, was did Hans Zimmer write the score for the first? Do you know? Uh, I am not sure, but I have heard. Uh, sorry, when I was listening uh, this morning, I heard many excerpts from the new soundtrack that yeah. were. They sounded like they were almost directly ripped from the original. Ah, so I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, I the soundtrack is probably one of the things that the reasons I enjoyed the movie the most. I don't know what it is about the soundtrack, but something seems so nostalgic about it. I don't know if it was like... Uh, the synth? Yeah, I, I don't understand because I, I wasn't really into any Star Trek or anything as a child and Star Wars has a very orchestral um, score, so it wouldn't be that kind of sci-fi. I don't know what it was, but something I just... Yeah, it, it really resonated with me. I think that in this case it is the synthetic tones because uh, synth is very 80s and uh it is also a very rare occurrence in this day and age because we no longer live in the 80s so when you hear a synth tone it does sound alien-esque which fits exactly into the sci-fi genre maybe it was the uh the stark contrast between um a really a really well-made hollywood movie uh that nowadays you would see with a, a like a, a very, as I said before, orchestral score compared to, I don't know, some of the more uh, classic and uh, not quite up to up to standard special effects uh, movie that would have this kind of score. I guess it, it's just such a stark contrast. You wouldn't expect this kind of score on a movie like this, but it worked so well. Um, and hmm. it was really powerful in, uh, in bringing emotions out in me for sure. Mm. very interesting yes it is uh very interesting uh and also uh it begins at a very different tone uh it 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 begins very tribal heavy drums throughout the whole uh sequence that he's moving into the uh, police headquarters uh k that is moving into the police headquarters in his car uh and then when you get outside the city to the more uh 
more ganglands, the more people, the more, uh, sorry, the less sophisticated you get, the more tonal alien-esque features. I think uh, it really sets up in your minds that inside the city is where people are fighting to keep society in one place, whereas outside the city there is this alien-esque society. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, anyway, the, the first fight scene kind of uh, is a great summary for the rest of the film. It kind of sets it up, uh, hey, there's going to be some action in this film. Uh, it's going to be pretty kick-ass, and it was well-paced, um, a lot of Hollywood movies kind of go overboard with fight scenes, with explosions and, and stupid shit. Um, mm. But the sound design of, oh, like, just even the sound design of Sapper walking into his house and the creaking of the floor, you can tell the house isn't that well built. He's living it pretty poor out there. Um, he probably built it himself. Yeah. Just just tiny things like that. And um, I heard, I saw something that mentioned... Um, even the sound design of uh, Kay's car, it's a it's a shitbox, and the the fact that it sounds like a a shitbox, like a, a really badly misfiring car of nowadays, it sets up that not everybody can afford like a, a super nice hovercraft. Like there's still lemons, I suppose you could say, of uh, of ho- like hover cars in in this universe. Absolutely. And to show you the distinction between the lemons and the modern uh, models, very, very much, much, much later on, you are able to see the latest model and you can't hear it at all. Yeah. Hmm. Very, very cool sound design in this film. Um, I don't think that's a very important point, Mr. Lockie, last night. Uh, I just said, I have a note that says, find box. Viewer wants to see what's in box. Um, ah, yes. I guess, uh, I guess I maybe you're that... talking about the uh, buried yeah, box, the box in bones. which the, uh, yeah. I feel like that if that wasn't there, it might get a little bit boring. Like, why am I watching this film? Is this dude just going to be like killing people for the whole film? But then it sets up like a mystery of, okay, there's something fishy going on here. There's a tree and there's a flower and then there's a... Um, a little box buried underground, so wonder what's in the box. Absolutely. There was certainly some... Uh, it, it, it set itself up at the beginning as a very fast, action-paced movie. Yeah. And then it did something which was incredibly important, as you were saying with the box. It slowed down to a crawl. Oh, man. And it stayed there for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Because it was not trying to be, oh, wait, everything's happening all at once. Yeah. It is trying to show you this is a world where people are living, you but know? So much, they, they managed to squeeze in so much information, um, but without overloading you. Um, Absolutely. And, and there's moments that are very intense and a lot of things are happening, but then it gives you a second to think about it, like someone walking down a hallway or walking through a room to give you a second to kind of think about and go, Wait, what just... Oh, that's what happened. Like, that's what... Maybe this is about to happen or why... Where is she going? That kind of thing. I think it's very well designed that way. Exactly. And to make it even slower, they give scenes of things that you wouldn't usually include in movies. Like, for example, in the first house... After the fight, you have Kay walking over to the boiling pot, looking inside and giving it a sniff. (laughs) Having a sniff. But that, that that led back to the... Um, where Sapper goes, I grow garlic. And he goes, do you want mm. some? And, and uh, Kay kind of goes, well, I prefer not to eat until the 
the hard part of the day is done. Uh, yeah. And I suppose that symbolizes that the, the hard part of the day is done, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the baseline, that was, that was a very strange experience. I guess you have some kind of, uh, like there's some of that in the first film. No. In fact, there's a completely different test oh, that really? uh, I could talk about for a little bit. But essentially, uh, rather than saying this is uh, a replicant who is not acting as he should, mm-hmm. and this is a test to find out how badly he is uh, acting or not, originally there was something called a Voigtkampf test, which is just to test if they're a replicant or not. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Um, the, the the sound design was intense. I think there was no music, but there was this like pulse, just like a, a, a this pulse of a, a synth, I think, just getting louder and louder and more intense, like a fairly high pitch, just like kind of helping to build up the intensity of the, the test. Like, oh, is he going to fail? I don't even know what this test is, but is, is this protagonist that I'm already invested in, is he, is he going to fail this test? But it's the intensity of uh, hearing your heartbeat in your eardrums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Once again, I'm going to say this a lot of times in this podcast, but the sound design is just fantastic. Um, what do you think of the test itself? Within cells interlinked. Interlinked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I don't. It was. I still don't 100% understand it. I guess it's to. Uh, provoke emotional responses i guess what do you know more about it than that? uh so the voigtkampf test was to provoke an, uh emotional responses this one is to test uh the limit of obedience that the android sorry the replicant uh has mm. because uh after the nexus 6 uh sorry the nexus 8 uh rebellions which was several models of replicants before this uh as you know from the opening crawl, Tyrell died and the company closed down and then Neander Wallace took over. And you were correct, it is Neander, not Nyander. Okay, great. Uh, he essentially, to bring replicants back into the view of the world, he made lines of replicants that were made to obey rather than to just be. So the baseline test is to see how well they're still obeying. Interesting. Yeah, it just, it was super intense and like, it's not set up that he, like the viewer doesn't know what this test is about. They say it's a baseline test and, uh, but you don't know if he's going to pass it or not, even, even though you haven't been shown any indication of he will fail it, but it's still intense anyway. Absolutely. It is an intense, like if, if you if you uh, go back and you rewatch it with the knowledge of what the test is, you can easily see that every single test of these, unless you are the perfect replicant, will always be stressful. Yeah, interesting. Um, one thing I did want to ask, I was going to Google it last night, actually, but um, I thought I'd save it for you to see if you could answer it. Um, I'm honored. He gets called skin job. In, in the police ah. station. Is that a slang for Blade Runner or a slang for um, a replicant? That is slang for replicant. Okay. They use it uh, many different times in both films, but it is always directed at replicants. Yeah, okay. Because I was... The first time that I watched the film, I was kind of thinking, well, most of these people in this building are probably replicants if, if this dude's been hired to 
to do this, but obviously not. Mm. Uh, it is, it's included. So there's a lot of uh, non. So there's a lot of material outside of the two movies that have been made. Uh, they, in the lead up to the release of this film, they actually produced several short films based in the universe, mm-hmm. which give a lot of information about this. You actually get a short film based on Sapper, which is very cool. Uh, but the important part is uh, there are many uh, replicants living in the world just in regular menial labor because they are essentially work androids yeah. with an obey limit. Interesting. Okay, that's, yeah, that was one thing that I wanted to, because I think the first time that I saw it, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that a lot of the people in this planet must have been replicants, but obviously not. Mm. Um. Yeah, so... The next note that I've got is um, he gets home and there's this very strange scene with a what seems to be like his wife or girlfriend in the kitchen making this um, making this dish for him and then she spouts out some shit like a like a Google assistant or Alexa would spout out like did you know this song was released in 1960 uh, something by this uh, production company or something like that I'm like what the what is going on here mm, and then it turns joy. out to be joy um, yeah. And then she says something about getting cabin fever. Um, and then there's this nice scene where he, he gets the emanator for her and um, it's, it's kind of just like a, here's our anniversary gift. Wait, it's our anniversary? No, but just pretend that it is. And mm. the thing that I didn't think about but really uh, was prevalent in my second, well, third viewing was that it's product, like it's advertisement programmed into the bot. Yes, there's a lot uh, programmed into the bot uh, that is up for discussion. There's a lot that you could think about. There's a lot that you could say. Uh, the most... Uh, I, I find it interesting that you were thinking more about the uh, the um, AI in that scene because when I watched it this morning, I couldn't stop thinking about Kay because during that whole scene, he was the most human that I had seen him yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah he, I get that. Uh, it's obvious that it's someone, or in this case, something, that he knows he doesn't just have to be an obeying replicant. He can be alive. Yeah. As alive as he can be, I guess. Yeah. And of course, Joy is wanting to help him live. Yeah. And it's. I just thought it was so funny that uh, Kay has been sucked into... He probably knows that it's, it's product placement. I mean, uh, advertisement as well, but like this person, this AI that you grow to get in a relationship and love and then they're just programmed to, like, make you buy more from the Wallace Corporation. Yeah. It is uh, very... um, What's that word? Not pyramid scheme, the other one. Uh, Rectangle uh, scheme. Yeah, it's it's whatever. It's something. (laughs) Something. Um and it was also a clever film trick to mean that um, Joy could go on the future kind of adventures and stuff. Absolutely. The first plot hole that I encountered. Here we go. Oh, oh uh, plot hole. <laughs> yeah. This might be completely wrong, but once he discovers that he m- might be the child that was born, wouldn't that mean that he has no thing under the uh, in his eye, up, look up to the left barcode thing? If he was... We don't know. Well... If you're an- we, this is a truly new life form. How would we know? 
Yeah, but can is is that genetic? Is that little barcode that has been that's yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's kind of nullified by just saying we're not sure, but I don't believe that a child that was born would have a a little Oh, hold on. What and a good I watch. Don't know which watch it is. It's the one it's the square one. There's three. <laughs> Where were we? We were talking about a barcode on the NRI of the baby. Yeah, so I I believe that if uh if the LA police department was to hire this man, they would have checked for his barcode to make sure that he was uh wait, no maybe how would that work? Cuz I base that opinion on the fact that everyone most of the people were uh replicants. Maybe not. Don't mm. worry then. <laughs> Plot hole <laughs> wrong. Um and then a lot of stuff passed, but um, I just wrote down notes about the points that I found important. Um, and once he finds out that uh, he might be the child and all of that shit happens, then Joy goes, you need you need a name. Your mother would have named you. Uh, and then he she chooses Joe. And I just thought, Joe Mama, that's, that shit funny. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It was a setup. <laughs> And then, it was all just a setup. Yeah, and then later on it's revealed that like Joe is a a name that's kind of like in her programming. Yeah. And that's what Joe I was talking about before. Uh there is more to the programming. Yeah. There's always the worry. Uh I, oh man, I could talk about something about the original. Anyway, <laughs> uh the the problem with living in a world where you can love an artificial reality is what is uh, what is the intelligence and what is the pre-programming? Yeah. Hard to and, separate, I imagine. Yeah, and things like Joe, they're the pre-programming. Yeah. And things like you need to erase me from the home is the intelligence. Yeah. Very interesting. It's hard to... It's hard for the both the viewer and for um, the protagonist to kind of separate. I don't know if, if he may be... I guess he kind of, uh, it might have been a point of realization when he was standing and there was that big um, hologram of, of a joy kind of mm. saying something about Joe. That might have been a point of realization of, oh shit, she really just was a, a robot program to get money out of me. Mm. Mm. So, um, one of my notes literally just says Joe Mama. Um, <laughs> then Kay goes to the. Uh, the memory lady, I wrote down. I can't remember, Doctor. Oh someone. man, you have uh, you've skipped over a lot. You really didn't think a lot of that was important. Well, I, I guess it was just I could tell what was going to happen next. I suppose. Okay. Like you can just keep s- going. You can just summarize. Well, I I personally could say that I I would summarize that in he finds evidence that uh, his memory of a of being this child. Uh, you fucked me up. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he finds evidence that he's the the child, the natural born child. Um, yeah. And oh, shit, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, is there anything important that you want to say about that? Oh, uh, there's a lot that I want to say. Okay, you uh, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, cool. So. One of the things uh, that I thought was very important was the self-awareness of memory implants. 
because essentially what you have is you have a being that is newly created that has uh, years of social interaction and life implanted into it without actually experiencing it. Uh, and when Kay does go to visit the memory lady, like you were going to talk about, he hears that the way to tell whether a memory is real or not is that a real memory would be fuzzy. It wouldn't be clear-cut. And I think that was the first major clue. Oh, interesting. Because he was able to remember it so clearly or something. Absolutely. I wrote down a note here, uh, and oh, it says... Oh, he's breaking the notes out. Oh, my notes have been out for a while, and you've oh, okay. skipped over half of them. <laughs> you should have stopped me. Nah, I'm all good. Uh, so I said all the pieces are there one hour and 13 minutes into the film. <laughs> interesting. When you... Yeah, when you get to that point, you have all the pieces that you need to be able to piece together who the child is. Yeah, and then another major tipping point of the um, of the memory lady. I wish I remembered her name. Um, she says, someone lived this and shows a very emotional response. And obviously, uh, well, not obviously, when the first time that I watched it recently, um, I just kind of went, yeah... Uh, she's probably a very emotional person and uh, probably is able to Feeling empathize with people. Yeah. Um, but it was she was crying because it was her memory and she said someone lived this and how would she know if if it wasn't her? Yeah. I should have, yeah. At that point, you should be able to figure it out, uh, maybe. She says someone lived this and because the... Pr- yeah, so because um, Kay is freaking out about it and he does the... God damn it! He like kicks the chair and shit. Um, yeah. You empathize more with Kay and you think about what he's feeling rather than what's actually going on and you miss the obvious truth. Yeah. But of course you wouldn't see it because you're being swept up in the movie. You're not yeah. thinking, aha, this is the case. We have to solve it. You're not you constantly know? thinking, hmm, is Joy the child? Wait, yeah, so new character, new character. <laughs> Easy. Okay, do you want to go back? A, let's back step. Are there any of your other points that you wanted to mention? Uh, a lot of it is essentially talking about uh, deeper thoughts uh, on each of the characters. Like, for example, uh, the police chief uh, who... What did you think of the police chief just uh, at this point in the movie? At this point? I'm not really... She didn't strike me as, as particularly... She seemed to be uh, to see the human side in in Kay, I suppose, um, and she probably that is what I saw. Yes. Yeah, She's, that was very important. Yeah, she seemed to be a very uh, like not stereotypical human in this in this universe. Like she still kind of uh, treated him a little bit like a, a robot or a slave, but she she definitely saw more human side, and she she said that sometimes I forget that you're one of them or something along those lines. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she is one of the larger uh, standings. I, I actually have a bit to talk about later on uh, about the police chief because I think she had an enormous uh, role in the film, even with the little that she did. But anyway, uh, moving on a little bit. Uh, Love, who is the uh, the replicant that works for wallace as i said in my synopsis wallace's bitch yeah Yeah, that's the (laughs) one uh when you see uh wallace interact with love you see 
there is an easy imbalance of power. And of course there is, because one's the creator and one is the child. Yeah. But you can see that love does not... In one of the scenes, uh, you see Wallace bringing a replicant to the world yeah. and then sub- subsequently bringing them out of the world again. Yeah. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can see the absolute fear in uh, Love's eyes yeah. throughout that whole scene. And she and even yet, cries as well. Yes, and yet she still adores Wallace to the point of idolatry. Yeah. And this idolatry makes Wallace believe that he is unto a god, which is a theme that he carries out not only through the film, but also through the architecture of his headquarters. Yeah. It's a very Egyptian palace, and yeah. the Egyptians basically most of their architecture was focused on the gods. I thought there was something, we'll cut forward, like just jump forward for one second um, to when uh, Kay is in the cave with all of the, like let's just call them rebels or um, like the rogue replicants uh, that know about the the child. Um, yeah. And the, the lighting in that scene was very reminiscent of um, Wallace's rooms, like with the, the water reflecting up on the walls. But Absolutely. rather than in Wallace's, um, in Wallace's uh, establishment where all of the light was artificial, in this in this scene it was uh, it was natural light. So I guess that's kind of more symbolism for the yes, natural and, versus artificial. Yeah, and along that line, you have your false idol who is Wallace, and you have your true idol, which in this case is Kay. Yeah, it is a clash in this case of religion. Yeah, very interesting. So, sorry, I just wanted to jump forward to that um, while I remembered. But yeah, um, Absolutely. Where, where were we going before? Memory Lady. Uh, so then Kay goes to to meet Han Solo in his third iteration. After the uh, Joy uh, sinking scene. Joy. Oh, yes. Is there, I didn't really think much of that. Do you want to, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I only wanted to talk about it not in the fact that it was sex, but in the fact that it was an incredible feat, both in fiction for the AI to overlay themselves over a living person yeah. throughout that whole sequence, and also an incredible cinematography oh, feat. Oh, man. That was insane. Yeah. Imagine having to have two people move like that in two separate scenes and to yeah. overlay it so perfectly. Well, the, there was imperfection, and I think that's what made it really authentic looking. Um, like, even though Absolutely. it is an AI, it, it would have to try really hard to track um, all of the body movements and wouldn't be able to do it perfectly. So there's some lag on the hands, and um, when the real human walks forward, then um, Joy kind of lags behind a little bit. It was, yeah. By less than fantastic. a second, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, before you get to uh, Nevada. My favorite character in the whole movie is there for one scene, and you never see him again, and he was perfect. Do you know who that is? The dog? No, Dr. Badger. Who? (laughs) Okay, do you remember the wooden horse? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you remember going to Chinatown to check out what the wooden horse is made of? Yeah. Do you remember the guy that did that? Yeah. He's my favorite character. (laughs) He was only there to sell <laughs> Kay a real horse. <laughs> he really legend. wanted him to get a horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so good. What an odd character to be your favorite. 
Oh, man. He's just such a powerful, like, he is set in this world. He knows exactly what he wants to do at all times. Yeah. And you see him once and then never again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Uh, <laughs> what happens next? Then, yeah. So, um, there's the Nevada flyover sequence. Yes. Uh, and then uh, there is the police chief's death. Uh, which you thought wasn't very important. But I uh, would just like to quickly say that I thought that it was a truly heroic act for an unheroic character. Uh, And then it gets to Cave putting his hand in a beehive. Yeah, what the fuck? That made me squirm. Yeah. Why would you do that? It says a lot. Why? I mean, he doesn't know bees. He's (laughs) never seen bees. Here is hole. I stick my hand in bee hole. (laughs) <laughs> and what do you want to happen? Sticky honey hand? What the fuck? No, no, he gets sticky bee hand. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe he was looking for honey. Maybe he was just looking for bees. Well, he found them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he uh, finds bees and, like, what the f- what the heck are bees? And uh, he finds... <laughs> what the heck are bees? <laughs> bee. He finds Harrison Ford um, mm. playing Harrison Ford. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we did get a good five-minute sequence of Harrison Ford beating the shit out of uh, Ryan Gosling. What's his? Yeah, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, that is oh, a fantastic scene. I love the guns in this film. Oh yeah, the sound. It just sounds like it sounds mechanical. Yet, uh, there's some element of mechanical uh, mechanicality, if you will. If that's a word. Um, <laughs> And, I'll allow it. <laughs> and also, like, some kind of, like, suppressor or something like that. It just sounds yeah. great. Um, there is an explosive kick to every bullet. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like the gun is made to absorb that with some kind of mechan- some kind of mechanism. Mm. Very cool. Um, and I love that there's no muzzle flashes that I picked up on. No crazy muzzle flashes like in, in most other Hollywood films. Um but actually, we're going to take a break for a quick second so I can sync up audio. We'll be back. Welcome back. We have just had a small break. Uh, and we're going to go back into the swing of things. Where were we, Rowan? Uh, we were just talking about, uh, I think it was uh, being beat up by uh, yes, Harrison Ford. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, before we get into things, I just want to say how impressed I was by Ryan Gosling's performance. Oh yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I before seeing this I wouldn't have said that he was a crazy good actor. I don't watch that many movies, so I wouldn't really have a uh, a justified opinion on that. But I, I, his performance just really impressed me. Nice, both in the ways of being human and just being completely robotic. I find um, it, yeah. So you go. No, no, I was just saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he get, gets into the, the hotel, and then they have a fight scene, and then Harrison Ford gets too puffed, so he's just like, fuck it, this fighting is shit, do you want to just drink? Get a drink, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they do that, and have a chat, and Harrison Ford just dodges his questions, and, uh, and then the, how does it happen? Yeah, um, so Love breaks into the police headquarters and finds where Kay went. So they track him down, and and Love and her her gang uh, shoot the shit out of Harrison Ford's place, which sucks. Um, and the dog survives. Yeah, of course it does. It's a dog. 
Thank God. <laughs> That's all I really was caring about. I'm like, if you bring a dog into this, it better, it better survive. Live. Yeah. Uh, all so... my homies hate love. <laughs> oh, okay, buddy. Um, why did K have? Okay, so these are questions for. Uh, I don't know what these notes mean. I wrote these very. Why is dog bark? Woof. Um, I don't think I have any actual notes further. Uh, do you, Do you have anything around this kind of area? I actually stopped watching uh, today at this point, but I could keep on talking. It's kind of it kind of gets like you know what's going to happen after this point. So uh, yeah, I guess. So if you important... if you figured out who the daughter is. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Okay, so um, uh, Harrison Ford is kidnapped by the Wallace Corporation. Um, what's what was the purpose of? I might just be dumb here, but what was the purpose of him being to find the child, Ryan? Yeah, there was a scene in which uh, they tried to interrogate him. Yeah. Uh, first, it was Wallace himself interrogating, and that's where we saw the revamped uh, model of Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Yes. That was that uh, was all CGI, right? It had to be. So, uh, yeah, I think it was. It, it, it looked too bad to be real. Yeah. But seeing Rachel again, that young and that precocious, just as just the same as the day that he first met her. Yeah, it was powerful. Is, uh, yeah, and it also showed just how far Wallace will go. Mm-hmm. He is prepared. He is prepared to just violate so many ethics just so that he can build his empire yeah um and then yeah so Kay's left to die in uh in Las Vegas uh in the casino which is a bit sad but then he's found by these these group of rebel uh replicants and um and he's told that that he's not the child and he's like oh shit well what am why am I what have I I done yeah where is my... Is this the end of my character arc? And yes, it kind of was. Um, <laughs> Where's my character arc? <laughs> please. Um, so then, um, I think they take... They take Harrison Ford. I love how we're ah, just referring him. to him as Harrison <laughs> Ford instead of uh, Deckard. Deckard, yeah. Rick Deckard. <laughs> so they take Harrison Ford. I think they, they're going to interrogate him further. Um, but Kay intercepts that uh, the transport... And uh, flogs the shit out of everyone there, and and kills love, and um, fucking finally, the group that uh, rescued K, the group of rebel replicants, wanted to wanted K to kill Deckard, um, so so that nobody could find the child. Yeah, yeah. So so he wouldn't um, give up their location and and compromise their safety, and yeah, the child wouldn't be found. Um, so. K basically says, "Hey, uh, when he saves um, Deckard from the from drowning, he says, uh, you're dead. Like I, I didn't see anything. You, you drowned out there. Um, so he's faked uh, K faked Deckard's death for him, which was which was very nice. Um, oh, what a lovely fella! <laughs> what a good good mate. Um, and then Deckard got to meet his daughter. And in the meantime." Uh, Kay got to die slowly, bleeding out on the steps. Which was fairly... I didn't... 
it didn't seem like he was dying. It was a very uh, slow leak. If you remember, uh, he was shot uh, when everyone was escaping from uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. And he was very poorly patched up. And there was a very quick uh, glance at this large hole that is very badly patched up while he's being held with the rebels. There's also just... like a piece of shrapnel or something in him from the explosion. Yeah. It was just all of the killing that he did stressed that to the point where it just completely opened. The flood get the floodgates of his blood opened. There was no stopping it. Oh yeah, and then he was sh- love shot him as well. Yeah. So he was pretty busted up, but like it, it's it didn't seem it was kind of ambiguous in the way that uh if, to me anyway, and I've been reading I was reading yesterday, it seems like a lot of people thought the same thing. Um, but the the producer and the the writers didn't mean for it to be that ambiguous. They meant for it to be, yeah, he's dead now. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because, like, it is filmed in a way that it is ambiguous, even though it is not. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And then Harrison Ford meets Memory Lady, and it was yeah. So I've got some notes notes here. Uh, why why did Kay have that memory implanted? Mm. Was it a ploy so, by the child to to save herself and and put get him in the shit or something or I don't know. There are several different like I I I'm not a part of any of the forums. I don't know nearly as much about this movie as I know about the original. But I know at least this much uh, from observation alone. There are many of the replicants who are in the rebel uh, force uh, that are confirmed to have this memory as well, uh, as you can see from one line alone, in that the older replicant who's leading the uh, rebels says, we all dreamed that we were the child as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah. So it may not have been... Uh, a ploy from the child. It may have been standard practice that yeah. has slipped under the radar. <clears throat> Which has led to a rebellion. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Um, What else did I have? Yeah, and it, it's interesting that the... I guess the way that they, they saved the child so no one could, could check if it was a, uh, a natural-born child or and no one could find out the truth was they said, oh, she has an immune disorder and she can't be let out of this bubble and no one can go in there to to test her, I guess. Yeah, Which is interesting because she thinks that she, uh, as far as I know, as far as I understand, she thinks that she is stuck in there because of a sickness, but... Yeah. Very cool. All right, so that's the end of the plot. Did you have any, any other notes? Uh, well, unfortunately, a lot of mine has, uh, different parallels to different films, mostly the original Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, let me just see. Hmm. Who were the three parties in the film? Who do you think they were? The three parties in the film? Yes. How, how so? Well... There are th- so I guess the Wallace Corporation is one. Yes. Uh there are three sides to the whole conflict. So the main conflict of the film is based around the idea that replicants might be able to reproduce. Yeah. And 
my question to you is who are the three major stakeholders in that race so it's got to be wallace corporation and then the rebels and then the just standard and humans i guess exactly that's what i thought too yeah i think it's really interesting how even in this uh neander wallace is not human and i think that's a theme that's begins to carry throughout the movie there's a lot of even though he is literally human he is not humane yeah and part of the question in both this movie and the original it's a large question of humanity and you have these artificial life forms which seem to be more human than the humans themselves yeah so it begs the question what's human big questions that i am not qualified to answer (laughs) <laughs> it is interesting it's it's a very thought-provoking i don't know for the future especially and i think it's interesting that the the first film was meant to be what was it placed in 2019 yep that's very that's funny absolutely we have none of uh what blade runner boasted except for we do have noodle shops you are right and Japan, yeah, that city with like the dispensers. That's just basically Japan. Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> MB. Um, to to close up, to wrap up a little bit, I think we're approaching approaching time. Uh, can you give give me and anybody listening who hasn't seen the original uh, a reason why they should watch it, um, and maybe something you liked about it that that wouldn't spoil anything? But yeah. Like, why... I'm satisfied. Obviously, I rated this movie a 9 out of 10. I don't feel uh, like I have to watch the the first movie to appreciate it more, but can you give a reason why I should, in your opinion? I c- Do you mind if I give you two reasons? Of course, yeah, as much as you want. Awesome, because I have two different approaches uh, to come from, uh, because there are people like... Uh, yourself for example who have already seen uh 2049 and are thinking maybe i should see the original and to them i say like go ahead you are about to get uh an incredibly different view on a world that you have already seen a glimpse into and if that isn't fascinating then i don't know what is uh and of course you can see the origins well, not, not Origins, but just a, a much younger and much more useful Deckard. And if you, found, if you found that character cool or interesting in the new movie, then you may love him in the original movie. Yeah, but, the Harrison Ford. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you will be able to see more of Rachel than just a couple of photos and the voice. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, something that I didn't really talk about... Um, the, the limited use of, of reminding, like they, they did use, uh, like flashbacks and, and kind of, I guess, nightmare-esque kind of things a few times to keep reminding, like at the very end, it cut back to Sapper saying, oh, you've never seen a miracle or something like that, just to kind of remind the viewer. Um, but there's a very limited amount of, uh, of that kind of, uh, they use much more artistic and creative ways to to remind the viewer of certain things. Absolutely. And they did the same thing a lot more explicitly in the original film. You often found uh, Deckard listening to old interview tapes while he's driving around so he can keep things mulling over in his mind and at the same time keep the viewer mulling it over. Yeah, cool. 
And now for my second point, for people who haven't seen 2049, the final cut of Blade Runner will make you think, and that is why it is important. (laughs) What kind of think? There is a lot to the original movie by itself, uh, the final cut, that is, that sets up all of these different deeper uh, ideas. Uh, There's the differences between the different uh, cuts are vast when it comes to thinking because the uh, US theatrical cut, you don't have to think at all. You can just watch it as an action movie and it's all good. Everything's explained for you. In the final cut, there are far more mysteries. There are far more things left open-ended and there are far more things that are left open-ended on purpose. And that is what is important. As I said towards the beginning of this review, the devil is in the details and Ridley Scott leaves things out when they need to be left out. And that's the difference between The Rise of Skywalker and Blade Runner. <laughs> leaving things out on purpose and leaving things out because you can't, you know, put because them in Because you forgot movie. to put them in. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. Um, I think... Oh, what was it? I, I think I really enjoyed this film because it made me think in a similar way that 1984, George Orwell's 1984 did. Um, I don't know. I really... Uh, I find it really interesting to think about what the future is going to be like. Um, and 1984 kind of describes a not not uh, too similar, but definitely, uh, I guess, somewhat similar to the, the future of Blade Runner, a kind of post-apocalyptic, very controlled, uh, slaved human race, I suppose. Uh, enslaved, sorry. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that this made me think about the future and it it kind of invokes a an emotion in you that thinks oh shit is this what is this what the future is going to be like and you think about what aspects of your current life are, are similar to this film and that kind of thing so yeah i really enjoyed that aspect excellent both films uh are definitely made in a way that make you think that's cool all right is there any any uh closing remarks that you want to want to add uh sure uh and this is a tip that i'm going to give to anyone who wants to watch the original blade runner watch the final cut (laughs) and uh every detail every little thing that you can find maybe you think something's wrong i want you to know that it is done for a reason and that you need to find the reason why it's wrong very cool well Thank you for listening to the Brass Sunday podcast. Uh, my name is Lockie. My Twitter is at LockieJG. Uh, this has been Rowan. Yeah, sorry about all that. Elderan27 on Twitter, and you can follow Brass Sunday at Brass Sunday on Twitter. Thank you for coming along. Uh, we'll be starting weekly uploads from now, so get ready for a moderately more exciting quarantine. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw, radio. Thanks for watching or listening, guys. I'll catch you at a different point in time. Ah. <laughs> Bruh. Bruh. <laughs>